But I think the most important thing that I learned about this situation is just doing something. Welcome in to Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. I would say that the most requested topic from all of my listeners has been men's mental health. I decided to do another episode, and I brought on my good friend Jake, and we discussed how to build your emotional resilience And Jake gives us an experience that he had that helped him take necessary steps to build his. Let's give it a listen. I woke up, I woke up my wife and said, hey, I think there's something going on. We uh, decided that whatever it was, it was probably serious. My initial thought was it's probably appendicitis, which, you know, it's serious, but it can be treated. So we should probably go in and get some extra help. Um, So that night... We ended up going to the emergency room and uh, we found out that it was not appendicitis, but a lot more than that. What did you find out when you went in and what was the doctor's reaction? Yeah. So I, you know, I still had some stomach pain. They had given me some pain medication to subside that pain. They put me on some morphine actually um, when I first got in. And uh, I just remember them doing kind of the, the standard test, looking for appendicitis, looking for other things. And, um, surgeon ended up kind of bursting in the room at one point um, in the middle of the night and said, uh, your life's in jeopardy and we're whisking you away right now to emergency surgery. I said, oh, wow, that sounds really serious. Like, uh, you know, what is it? What can we talk about? Can we talk about it for a minute? And uh, can I think about it? He says, yeah, take all, you know, he says, you you go ahead and you can think about it, talk it over. Um, You have about an hour for us to save your life. So take all the time you need and then left. And I said, well, I guess that means we probably better do this. So what I was officially diagnosed with, what they found was not appendicitis, but it was called a sequel volvulus. And it's actually when your intestines detach themselves from the wall and start to tie themselves in knots. And what happens when it ties, starts to tie itself in a knot is it starts to restrict or cut off the blood flow to those areas entirely. Um, and could be um, dangerous very quickly because, you know, the longer that sits and rots, you can, you start to run the risk of gangrene of a lot of other complications that obviously you can't digest. So sometimes it's missed. And for that reason, it has, I found out later it has a pretty high mortality rate around 40%. So, uh, things got, things got serious pretty quick there in the ER that morning. How does it come unattached to the wall? See, I had a lot of those questions too, and I, I continue to learn more about it, but the most they can say is either genetics or birth defect, and it's just not attached well for whatever reason. They can't tie it back to any specific cause, and it's more of a more of a freak accident type situation where it just all of a sudden one day just happens. Got it. So you went into surgery, you wake up, what, I mean, was everything fine after that? Or did it take a while to recover? What, what was the next thing that you experienced? You know, there's a lot of things that were kind of a blur. Like I remember, I still remember them kind of whisking me away and prepping me for surgery immediately. I remember, you know, they even had to shave my stomach. Um, I remember 
I just asked the nurses because everything was coming at me so quick and I was still trying to process what was going on. I didn't know at that point if when they put me under, if I was going to wake up in the morning, like because the way they were talking about how serious it was um, and how quick they needed to do it. And so I just remember asking the nurses, I was like, can I just have a moment with my wife? Like I just, I, we needed, I need to just be with her. And so they did right before they, after they kind of prepped me for surgery, they just gave me a moment with my wife and we could just kind of sit and talk for just a second, say a quick prayer together. And then uh, they started to put the drugs in my system and um, I started to go under. And the last thing I kind of remember is them putting me on the, on the surgery table and seeing the lights and they had me count backwards 10 and I only remember getting to eight and then I was out. But the good news is, you know, I did end up waking up in the morning. I remember coming off of the drugs and everything. It felt like, you know, a really long wake up. Everything was really bright. Uh, It was around 9 a.m. in the morning when I got up and I had to come to the realization that of about what had just happened. I woke up with, uh, five different incisions in my abdomen and they had, and they ended up having to go in and take out everything that was affected, which ended up being my cecum, my appendix, and then my entire right colon. Uh, so it was about 18 inches of my total tract that they ended up having to remove. And I was the proud new owner of some new titanium staples that held everything together and all of the recovery that came after that. So what, what impact did the surgery have on you? So, I mean, I, luckily I was a pretty healthy guy at that point. I remember, uh, it was a really good time in my life. I had been going to the gym quite frequently. I felt like I was in decent shape. Um, I was in the process of, you know, setting some new deadlift records, personal records for myself at the gym. So like, it was just kind of a, it felt like an abrupt change where, you know, I went from being healthy and being active and doing these things. And then after the surgery, with all the incisions in my abdomen, I could barely walk down the hallway. I could barely stand up by myself. Like I couldn't do basic functions. So I sort of knew that the physical recovery was going to be tough. I knew that I'd probably have to do some physical therapy. I knew that the healing would take a little bit. I knew I'd probably have some downtime. Like all of that just made sense to me. And I feel like I was sort of mentally in a space where um, I could handle that. Um, But as the, as the, weeks and months after recovery sort of set in, I wasn't prepared for how much of a mental toll sometimes, um, not only surgery, but these kind of near death experiences and these traumatic events can kind of play out and it wasn't as instant and it took me longer to notice. So like, what do you mean mental toll and having it take a long time to notice? Yeah. So some interesting things started to happen to me. I think some of it was triggered by, you know, having a near death experience. Some of it was, I, I lost myself a little bit and the hobbies that I was able to participate in. Um, I had a new son at that time that was a year and a half and I couldn't hold him because he was over 20 pounds. Um, I still try to make it into work. I probably pushed it too much, but I was able to go into work. I tried to resume life as normal. Like some, my wife would drive me to work. I had some really great colleagues that would come down and and grab my backpack and help me get up to my seat for the first few weeks. And I, I, I tried to move on sort of like normal, but there was a lot of normalcy that I was missing. So when, as I started to heal, I found that my brain found it very difficult to discern uh, what sort of aches and pains were normal sur- surgery recovery aches and pains. And then what 
was more life-threatening pain or, you know, a signal of, of more health issues. And so I kind of found myself struggling mentally in that sort of way. And then I think you couple that with a lot of isolation, uh, a lack of activities, um, some additional painkillers and, and things of that, the nature that they had given me after. And I started to uh, really, I think my mental health started to degrade slowly, but surely. I remember, you know, it's got to the point where a lot of different events that felt out of my control, like this event felt out of control, started to be triggers for me. I started to not like when other people would drive cars and I wasn't the driver. I didn't like, um, I became a nervous flyer, never been a nervous flyer before, but I did, I, I became very nervous on, on turbulent airplanes. I became really nervous about significant weather events, which, you know, now miles after living in Arkansas, those, those happened quite a bit. So it was like some, some real changes were happening in my brain that I, that I couldn't quite understand and, and that hadn't been there before. So I had similar experiences when I was first going to college and just having that, I guess, anxiety was really hard for me as well. But what was it that kind of helped you get through that and pulled you out of everything? Yeah, I think for a while, I'm glad that you called it called it out like anxiety, right? Because I think for a while, I didn't know what it was. And so I, I struggled with what was actually going on. Um, I struggled to give it a name. I just sort of felt like this was probably the normal process when, when in reality, like um, there were some things that were not good in my, in my life, in my, in my brain that were causing this anxiety that were sending these triggers that were just progressively getting worse. And uh, like, I think a lot of us do, I sort of just tried to tough it out, move on and think that those things would go away. And the more I realized that I started to bottle it up, um, it just slowly started to degrade and get worse to even the point of, you know, experiencing panic attacks from time to time. But even still, I, I remember just thinking that that sort of only affects me. That's just, that's just, uh, you know, that's just what I'm dealing with. That's my journey. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to slowly get better. And I would deal with all the physical effects like kidney stones and other things that came along with recovery. But, um, there was, I remember there was a day in particular where I knew things had to change because it started to affect more than just me. And that was a, there was a day that it was a Saturday and we had some family events planned to go out with my son and my wife and, and go make some memories. And I remember there just happened to be that day, some significant weather event, events that were going to roll through. I think we were under a tornado watch. And I remember my anxiety being so strong that day that I struggled to even get out of bed. And I had never experienced that before. And I remember missing those opportunities with my family to go out and spend time with them. And that's where I sat back and sort of had this realization that these, because I'm not dealing with these issues, it's more than just me that's starting to suffer. Now it's my family. Now it's my son. Now it's my wife. And it was just, it was slowly starting to progress to, to more areas of my life that it started to touch. And that's where I decided I really needed to, to do something about it. Like I really needed to find a way to get on top of that. Yeah, it's um I remember with me. So when I was going to Snow College in central Utah, my first time and it was it was the weirdest thing cuz I was just sitting in class and it was a 7 a.m. class and it was a psychology class and I'll never forget it because I was in the class and then all of a sudden like I grabbed the corners of the desk 
and I didn't know what was happening. And I was, I was like, what is going on? And I thought like I was going to have a seizure or something like that. And like, and my heart was racing and I like, I just, I didn't know what it was. And then it went away and I was terrified for like two weeks and I didn't tell anybody anything. But luckily, because that was a psychology class, within a couple of weeks, we learned about anxiety and um, panic attacks and stuff like that. So like I knew, <laughs> I knew exactly what it was and, and I'd had it again in that class, but because I knew what it was, I was able to, from what I learned in the class, help me treat it. Right. And I wasn't perfect at it. And it, and it's something that never really has really gone away. Right. But there are little things that you can learn. So what I did that really helped me with everything was I took a class for my church. It was called emotional resilience. And I remember when I took it, I was like, no, I don't need to take it. I'm okay. And my wife was like, Hey, look, you are really stressed all the time with your job because I was doing a really stressful job at the time. And she's like, you need to, you, you need to learn how to handle the stress better so that you can do better in your career. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not, I don't need it for me. But it was interesting because one time when I was praying, I had the thought come to me like, do it for your kids so that you can help them. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, that was kind of my, my way of convincing myself that I could take the class. You know what I mean? And yeah. I took it. And it was amazing. And ever since I've taken that emotional resilience class, I have been like my stress at that job. I could handle it a lot better. My temper, I've been able to control my temper more, which is very important when you have a lot of kids, right? And, the, and just the stress that comes with that. Um, and then with my anxiety too, it's it's helped with that because something that kind of sounds maybe might sound silly. When I would fly, I was terrified of turbulence, like you said, right? And everything. And for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, right before I would go on this big international trip, I would always like see some YouTube video of an airplane crashing, right? <laughs> or, or, or some, or something. And I'm like, oh man, I'd get on that plane and I'd be like, just a whole time, just white knuckles holding on what was interesting is after taking this emotional resilience class, it taught me how to think logically where I would start instead of letting those emotions control me, I would start thinking logically like, no, I just tell myself it's not going to happen. And then it wouldn't happen. And, and then I'd have these like thoughts that would give me kind of a little bit of courage, you know, cause speaking of family history, I would think, you know, my ancestors were Scandinavians and they use ships to go everywhere. And then here I am flying in a plane and it's like, if they, if they can sell across months over the oceans on ships, I can do hours on a plane and I'll be okay. And then the other thing too, that I had the thought come to me thinking logically is like, okay, let's say if something did happen, like if the plane was going to crash, would I want to go down like a man or would I want to go down panicking and, you know, everything like that, like I usually am. And, and, and just kind of that thought and just thinking to myself logically about those things just really helped. And and I picked those tools up from taking this class. Feels like I'm looking in a mirror, honestly, because 
I had the opportunity to take that class early on as well. And it helped me a lot. I think what you're describing is one of the topics that they talk about in there about readjusting your healthy thinking patterns. I don't think I had quite as good of healthy thinking patterns about airplanes. Maybe I still don't as you do. Sometimes I still just think that I'm in a tin can being hurled up in the sky. But what I liked about what you said too, is you talked about how this anxiety, it doesn't always, it doesn't necessarily go away. Like it's something that maybe will always be a part of you. I know it feels like it's always a part of me now. You start to learn your triggers. Um, you start to understand what kind of sets you off and you can actually apply new tactics that can help you get through certain situations, which I think is what's good. And I think it's it's almost like this in, this idea of anxiety and depression or fear. It's all... It's almost like a living organism that you constantly have to battle. You constantly have to keep putting it in check because the moment you leave it too long, it starts to grow and it can fester. So that, that's where it's been important with me. There's been a couple other things that um, have helped me to, to, besides just taking the class. I also had the opportunity to speak to some licensed clinicians at the time. I decided to reach out and get some professional help. Um, and they gave me such great tactics because what I learned about myself is, you know, my, you basically, if you were a cup and the amount of stress you had was the water inside of it, my cup was so full with thoughts and fears and anxiety around my situation about my traumatic events that it didn't take much else in my life to start to stress me out more water to be added before I started to boil over. Right. So um, you know, one small thing at work or one small thing at home could really become a trigger that maybe wasn't before. I remember a lot of instances where small things would start to set me off, you know, either in terms of anger or anxiety or stress, fear, et cetera. And so through some of those licensed clinicians, they started to try to empty my cup and not just with this experience, but they helped me become, you know, more of a, uh, less of a, a stressful driver. You know, I used to get really upset, blood pressure start to spike when I would get cut off or I, I could get angry on the road very easily. And I learned to let some of those things go. And that took a little bit of water out of my cup. And so they kind of did that with a lot of different experiences in my life until things like flying or letting someone else drive and things was not the amount of water that spilled my cup over. Like I, I had an empty enough cup that I could, I could handle and hold that much, that much more stress. And I just think it's important. So I, I, I mean, those are two things that you could do. Um, there's more that we could probably talk about, about, you know, different mental health illnesses and what you could do or physical health illnesses and, and what you could do. But I think the most important thing that I learned about this situation is just doing something. Just when you realize that you're not okay, admitting it, getting the help that you need, because you do it not just for you, but for your family and those who you love around your life as well. Because I've seen, unfortunately, um, from my own experience, what happens when you don't, because mental health issues, unfortunately, run in my family, typically around health. I have my grandfather ended up having some heart complications. And in his life, he ended up having three heart attacks. He had a pacemaker put in and then ultimately a full heart transplant, um, which was great. Helped him live 12 more years. But as, Every one of those experiences, I think, started to fill his cup over and he wasn't talking about it and we didn't know he was struggling. And then um, one day it just became too much for him and he ended up taking his own life, which was a very 
traumatic and hard experience for us as a family, obviously, but it taught us a great deal of lessons about the importance of taking care of your mental health. And obviously we'll never know exactly what he was going through and, and his struggles. It's motivated me to make sure I always do something about my mental health. I never let it escalate anywhere close to that point. And I try to stay on top of it now to keep it in check and keep my glass from overflowing as often as I can. I love that analogy of the glass being full. And, you know, the older I get, the more I see how useful it is to use those tools. For example, one that I learned, um, box breathing was one that I, I actually still use it. And, and it's one that I teach my kids too. When my kids are getting stressed out and they're getting angry or whatever, I, I teach them about box breathing. And going back to that class, it really has been a blessing as a dad too for my kids to teach them the things that I learned there. Because I think there's a lot of families who maybe it's not something that's genetically inherited, but maybe it's something that's mentally inherited by being around your tribe, right? Because my family, they're worry warts. And it was like, oh, grandpa is just a worry wart, you know, or, oh, you know, so-and-so is just a worry wart and they just worry a lot. Well, looking back, it's like, I don't think they were just a worry wart. I think that they were dealing with with this thing. And, and like you said, you go meet these clinicians and everybody, or you take these classes or you do these groups and then you learn these tools about, Hey, you know what? Maybe that's not important. And, and it's, it's actually a good thing that you unlearn. And then the favor that it does for your kids is it's not something that's really passed on to them. If that makes sense. Right. Like it's good to learn like, Hey, you know what? It's okay. And, and, and one of the big things that's helped me too is faith knowing. And that was the big thing from that class too, is just, you know, you got to have faith because God will take care of you. Right. If you have faith in him and if you're living right, everything always works out. And that was my biggest takeaway from it is I'm not going to have this horrible thing happen. I may have an experience that's hard for me to go through, but it's not going to be terrible and I'm going to be able to overcome it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm a totally different person because of that. And, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of different things that you can do to help that get better. Uh, but the the one thing we, I didn't mention yet was probably the most impactful is how my relationship with Jesus Christ grew during that whole time. And when, you know, when you're really humbled and you're really forced to be on your knees, how much closer you can really become if you, if you so choose it uh, to look that way. And I had a lot to learn about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I always sort of, I always kind of came naturally growing up with faith in my life that I knew that he atoned for all of my sins. But the, the part that I think I needed growth in is that it, he also atoned for and understands all of our afflictions, infirmities, anything that we go through in life. And I think that's where I required a lot of growth and where I came to understand him and his mercy a little bit more. So I am ultimately grateful for this experience that I went through in my life. Sometimes it can be hard to talk about. Sometimes I uh, enjoy sharing it, but uh, the, the, um, Ultimately, like I, I, if it could even help one other person out there that's also struggling with any reason at all, you know, then it's it's worth it happening. And I, and and for that reason, I I share um, and talk about it because I think I think you need both those aspects, right? Like there's some physical aspects and some things you can do that are kind of more worldly, to, for lack of other word, um, and then there's things you can do more spiritually. Uh, you know, while we're on the topic of analogies, I I think about it's kind of an old joke. Most people have probably heard it, but 
um, you know, there's a guy that's stranded out in the ocean and he needs help and he's praying that the Lord will save him. And long story short, three different boats pass by and ask if he needs help. He says, no, the Lord will save me. And when he gets to heaven, he doesn't make it. He says, why didn't you save me? He says, I, I did. I tried to send you three boats. So I think, I think it's, it's important to have those both, both those aspects, right? Like you need to have that faith that things will get better. You need to, you need to not lose sight of, of the hope that comes from a faith in Jesus Christ. And then you need to do as take advantage of opportunities um, that he gives you to, to get better, to go seek help, to try to find professionals and get the, get the help that you need at that time. I don't think one would work without the other. I don't think you can have just half the puzzle and solve the whole problem. Yeah, exactly. You got to use what's there for you too. And that's the great thing about living in our day is we have all these tools and everything and different ways of thinking and cognitive therapy and stuff like that too. It's, they're all great tools to use. It doesn't make you weaker. And, And in fact, you know, you hear about a lot of these people who don't learn how to cope with these things and they just live long, hard lives. But if you humble yourself and it takes a big dose of humility, it can really help you. So with everything going on in the world today and the stuff that we've lived through too, I just don't think that it'd be hard to go through life without ever coming across someone close to you that you care about, or maybe yourself personally that will eventually struggle with one of these things or go through a mental health crisis or a physical health crisis. Like they just are so common and it happens so often. It's, it's good to know what's out there before the crisis hits when you can think clearly. And then you kind of have a battle plan, right? You have an action plan of when these things happen in my family or to me, I know what to do. Reach out and get help. And uh, I know I'm going to not lose the faith. And that's where we concluded our conversation. I want to thank Jake for coming on and sharing this experience with us. Men, just like Jake said, go and do something to build your emotional resilience. It'll make you a better husband. It'll make you a better father. It'll make you a better man. So go out there and do something. Learn some new tools. Whatever it is that you need to do and what you can do, go and do it. Now, I have something very exciting to announce that we are bringing back. And that is the Manly Mystery Sound. If you can guess it, email me at miles at likemanpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe. I'm on all the major podcasting apps, and I'm also on YouTube. So come out, come find me, get some good, clean entertainment. And now we're going to conclude with a manly mystery sound. Thank you.